Really, you don't have to be the best teacher for every student you teach. And the reality is you won't. But if you can change one person's life in the way that you've described, I think that's like, yeah, they're going to be holding on to that um, long, long after you've taught them. Every teacher that I've interacted with has had some sort of influence in the direction that I've gone, whether positive or negative. Um, and so I hope that the interactions I have with my students, that they'll, they'll sort of think back on that. And I hope that those interactions have, have pointed them in a, in a positive direction. That's my friend, Jonathan Kim Singh, or to many Kimmers. He's a math teacher and he's got a passion to teach. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Earl Grey. Grab your cuppa and spend the next little moment with me, Sam Wan, as we glimpse the beauty in the ordinary. I think this is all great. I've got Melbourne breakfast here all the way from T2. Um, and uh, I'm here chatting with a teacher. I used to be a teacher, so I love chatting with teachers. I'm here chatting with a teacher uh, who my producer um, uh, introduced me to. Kimmers is his name. And he's, I think, on camera, I can see that he's got a cup of tea with him or a cup of something with him. And we're gonna just have a chat and just hear about his life as a teacher. Hey Kimmers, how are you going? Thanks Sam, yeah, really good to be here. <laughs> That's good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a, are you a maths teacher? I am, everyone's favorite subject. Everyone's um, favorite subject. <laughs> I'm sure it's a divisive kind of comment, hey. <laughs> what are you drinking at the moment? I have to confess, because when I saw the com the title Conversations with Earl Grey, the first thing was that I thought to myself, I don't know if I've ever liked Earl Grey when I've drunk it. No, no, it tastes it tastes like bath water. Um, <laughs> I thought you were some sort of um, Earl Grey fan. That's I am, I am. Oh, okay, but I've gotten right. used to drinking bath water. Um, so I, I'm, an, I'm an English breakfast um, boy. Through yeah, through, yeah. So. yeah. Very simple. Anyway, Kimmers, you're a maths teacher. What does a math teacher do? Uh, we do a lot of things. <laughs> I think the first thing that we do is, and, and this is the sort of misconception, I think, that a lot of people have uh, about teaching, and, and even teachers necessarily do, is that when we're asked what do we teach, I think one of the first things that should come to our mind is students. Because ultimately, you know, we all have our subjects that we teach, whether it's maths, English or science, and we all want to say our subject is the most important. But I think the reality is that really what comes first is the kids in the classroom. And what that's going to look like is going to be different for every teacher in every school. And that's something that I've been trying to navigate um, throughout my earlier years of teaching, I think. Yeah. yeah, so you've, how long have you been teaching, mate? I'm getting old now. This is my fifth year, I think. Fifth so, year? Time, time yeah, flies. Wow, so, wow. Yeah, Half yeah. a decade. That's it. That's it. Don't say it like that. That's, that kind of scares me. <laughs> so you've been, you've been teaching five years. Um, what drew you to teaching? There's, um, 
There's a lot of thoughts on teaching, hey, when um, people think about it as a career, whether positive or negative. <laughs> I think one thing that has really made um, a big impact for me was in my final year of high school. I just remember being around all of my friends and even my teachers, because I think in year 12, you have a very different perspective on who your teachers are. It's, it's moving away from this um, sort of authoritarian, um, them telling you what to do. And you start to see how they're on your side and um, you start to build this rapport um, with your teachers that I definitely didn't have in my junior years. And I thought to myself, man, I really wish there was some way I could relive this somehow. Um, and I think, or at least be a part of this for other people in the future. And so I think that was one of the driving forces uh, that led me to yeah, become a teacher myself. And why math? Because if you don't, you don't know me. I, I you, am, you love math, Sam. You've I got, hate you've got maths. Eddie, you've got Eddie Wu's book. I have book, Eddie, so. <laughs> I have Eddie Wu's book. Um, no, math is like, I, I, I hardly know how to do my taxes. Um, That's funny. I was just I, doing my taxes just then. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle so much with mathematics. I remember my, um, I remember dropping three unit maths, um, and my math teacher going. Oh, Sam, that's a good choice. Um, <laughs> they weren't very subtle, were they? <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Um, so that's, that make, leads me to think that you did two unit maths then. So that's... I um, did. For someone who doesn't like maths, that's pretty impressive. Or who claims that they don't like maths at least. Oh, I don't like... Well, you know, you know. If I'm not going to be in first grade rugby, I better be at least doing two unit maths. Uh, <laughs> no. But um, yeah, tell us wh why maths? I think this is a question. And I, I, before I an answer this, I kind of want to ask you a question in the sense oh, that... Well, okay. <laughs> what, what is it about maths that you would say that either you or you think people don't like, I guess, is the question. Um, I th I, okay, may maybe I'm being... I, I don't, don't like math. Hmm. Oh, I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, no, I'm no, just no, curious no. myself. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Here is now, I did, I did start an honours research project in um, a, um, a cultural understanding of mathematics. So I was reading philosophy of mathematics in my honours thesis. Um, and here is my, you know, mathematics lecturer going, people tend to not like maths because of their experience of how it be, it's been taught. Um, I don't like maths because... I'm scared of numbers. I'm scared of numbers and also I'm not blaming on how I'm wired, but at the same time, I'm just, if I don't have to do it, I don't want to do it. No, no, that's, that's really insightful. And it really yeah. slows me down. Mm. I don't like being slowed down. I have to confess because... My journey with mathematics has actually been quite a roller coaster. So it started out in primary school and I really enjoyed mathematics because it was something that I attributed to having a lot of success at. And I think it's pretty natural that you enjoy something that you're good at, right? When you're succeeding, um, when you know it's something that you're quite confident in, it's something you want to keep doing. And so, like yourself, uh, in high school, I was fortunate enough to attend a school where, you know, there's a lot of brilliant students, but I think along with that comes a bit of competition, a bit of pressure as well. And 
And that's when I started to feel that I wasn't actually a maths person. Um, since there was just so many people around me, they were able to you know, just understand things so much more quickly or you know, they were just better at it than me. And so I think it's interesting to reflect now on this sort of changing perspective on how maths relates to you depending on where you are. And, and again, when I finished high school, I wouldn't have said that maths was my favorite subject. But now that I've sort of stepped away from this idea of, you know, uh, marks and the HSC and all that, those kind of pressures, I can actually take some time to appreciate mathematics for um, what it really is and, and how we can see it represented in the world around us. And I've really made that a bit of a mission for myself that I know what uh, it is like to experience um, I'm not sure if it's just low confidence or dislike of maths in high school, but I think I try and use that to relate to my students who may not say that mathematics is their favorite subject either. So, so are you saying that a lot of people might not like maths because of self-esteem issues? I think that's a big part of it. Like, not, not for everyone, um, but I think when someone is, it's almost like a different language. When someone speaks in a different language and you're not understanding them, how can you expect to... The, this individual to be able to relate or, or care about what you're saying almost. And I think it's about, I think math teachers really almost need to sort of decipher or translate what these things mean for our students. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this, comp like coming back to my honours, I didn't finish my honours thesis. <laughs> Funnily enough, oh, this is like, tell this story. This is an interview of Kimmers, everyone, but, um, because he's gotten me going here. I'm going to tell a little bit story of myself. Um, funny enough, uh, halfway through my honours thesis, I decided I don't know whether I would want to continue. And what did I do? I flipped a coin. Um, heads was going to be um, don't continue and tails was continue. Flipped it right outside of my honours supervisor's office. Do you know heads. about this? Or... <laughs> Do, they Do know I know? Do they know? No, he... no, he doesn't. I don't think he listens to my podcast either. Um, flipped it, landed on heads, walked into the office, sat down and said, I'm quitting. <laughs> and I did. Um, but that, that... Sorry, back, back to my honours thesis. It was looking at the cultural conception of mathematics. And um, I was reading and thinking through exactly what you're saying, that... For some reason, we have, in the Western world at least, we have, we have placed math or the, the, the language of math as a universal language and assume that everyone knows the universal language of math when, in fact, mathematics is codified of phenomenon that exists in our world or phenomenon that exists in an imaginary world that... We need to, I guess the right term is, is to translate phenomenon into language and allow and teach people the language. Is that right? No, yeah, you're, you're spot on. And I think, and this is what I've learned over the past couple of years, that every student is different. And so, you know, you do get those students who um, just enjoy this sort of nature of problem solving. They don't necessarily need to have a strong connection to the content that they're looking at. So you know, they love working out of a textbook or through some worksheets, um, but that's not everyone. You know, some people need to have some underlying motivation. And I know for myself that the first thing I think of when I see a formula or I see something that's printed on a textbook, I'm thinking, hmm, how does that, 
really relate to what I'm doing? Or, um, you know, how do they even come to this conclusion? Where do, where do they just pluck Pythagoras' theorem out of thin air? You know, some guy, you know, thousands of years ago, why should I care about this? And so I think it's, uh, it's definitely questions that uh, need to be answered. And so I think that's, as you were saying, that's part of the job as well. <laughs> so really, here's a question for you um, that, that I've always asked and a million other people probably have asked. Now, I know, you know, Pythagoras' theorem, practically what that means for me is for me to travel to point A to point B, I will probably do a diagonal way and that will take me shorter to get there and, le- you know, less energy to get there. Um, rather than going from, you know, point A to point B to point C, I just go to A to C. But, you know, differentiation and trigonometry, how do I apply that into my everyday Joe Blow life? It's funny, the, the most times I get that question is usually on a Friday afternoon when uh, my <laughs> students kind of start derailing my lesson because they know that I'm going to answer them. Um, and they know that takes away from time that they have to do work. So they're, they're very sneaky. So, um, look, I think, and, and when they ask, when she just asked this question, I've in my mind thought to myself, do they really want an answer to this question? Because there are answers. Yes, I do. do, do I'm, glad, I'm glad you do, Sam. You're, you're one of the good ones. But my suspicion is that no matter what answer I give them, um, they may not necessarily be satisfied with that answer. Um, I've seen this kind of meme floating around and, you know, a student asks, when am I ever going to use this in real life um, in the maths class? And the teacher's response is, uh, you won't, but one of the smart kids might. <laughs> and I mean, I don't necessarily take that response on board, but one thing I will say is that things like, you know, uh, calculus or integration, all these sort of complex concepts, the reality is actually when we first started looking at them, the rationale behind them wasn't how can I apply this into real life? You know, a lot of these things that were just sort of playing almost with mathematics and they were, they were using them as tools just to work out how these things interacted with each other. And it's only a lot later on that we're now sort of discovering these applications with them. A great example is prime numbers, my favorite one, because, you know, prime numbers, you know, who cares about them? They're just numbers that are only divisible by one in itself. Um, and, you know, for a long time, no one really used them for much. But nowadays, when we send messages to each other, you know, on WhatsApp or Messenger, assuming, you know, China's or no one's reading them, uh, the whole idea is that we can send them um, as encrypted messages based on using prime numbers as almost like a lock and key. Uh, and so that, that's something that I found really fascinating. You know, these sort of little facts that we learn in primary school, you know, when we first learn about prime numbers, probably, you know, primary school or something, um, they can actually be used for very advanced applications. I think it's a shame, though, because a lot of these advanced applications, our students may not necessarily be at the, the level of that. So it's very hard to show them what you can do when students don't have that foundation. So I think it's about giving them a taste of what you can do, but then working your way up um, to that skill level as well. This is Conversations with Earl Grey and I'm talking to Kimmer's maths teacher. How would you answer a student who's asking it in a way that they will never be satisfied with your answer. <laughs> I try and throw them off guard because sometimes I say, you won't. And then they just kind of sit there. What do you mean you won't? Why, why, why are you teaching us this then? And I think the reason why I say that is, and I give them a take, and I tell them, look, 
there are people that use this in the world. You may not use this when you leave school. In fact, the reality is you, you probably won't. But then I asked them the question, is something only worth learning if it can be used for something? Because I think the reality is that in school, a lot of the things that we learn about, we don't necessarily use or apply in our everyday lives. But I think that doesn't mean that it doesn't have value um, with what we do. And so, you know, sometimes we can use these mathematical concepts to engage in other problem-solving schools. We talked a bit about how, you know, we can just solve problems in general. And so mathematics provides a good foundation for that. And hopefully, at least, um, what I also try and do is show that, you know, mathematics can be fun. It can be enjoyable, depending on um, the way in which you, you phrase it and the way in which you relate to your kids as well. And so I think those are the two things that I try and rely on if a student's not going to be satisfied with whatever application I give them. Yeah. It's, it sounds to me that you've, you've thought through a lot, not only about mathematics and about teaching, but also about the heart of your students. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us, walk us through, was that Kimmer's in first year of, university was that kim is in first year out teaching what was the journey of getting to where you are now yeah that's a really great question actually i think i mean i would have said that in you know in my early days in your primary and high school that i was actually quite shy um and i think over time um, when i got to know people in, in certain contexts whether it was you know school or church or all these different places and you start to see that everyone has their own story and I think it must have been when uni started wrapping around, when uni kicked off, that you start to see people from a whole heap of backgrounds, um, all parts of Sydney. And so I was really um, fascinated and interested about where people come from and how that sort of influences what they do now. And so I think that's one of the first things I try and do in the classroom as well, that you know, everyone's coming from a different context where they're, you know, they live in the area or you know, sometimes they come from broken families and things like that, and that can affect how they are in the classroom. And so I think it's really important for teachers to um, be able to um, be aware of these things and, and also hopefully in some way connect with their students um, through this knowledge as well, yeah. And... What are some things that you've learnt that five years ago mm. you were oblivious of? Yeah. I think one of the things that um, just, just gets me every time is when you first enter a classroom, it's, it's one of the scariest feelings I remember. Like being in a classroom by yourself, there's no one else. You're, you're the person in charge. The way I describe it is kind of, when you go first from your L's to your P's. I was just thinking oh, that. Is that, is that what, yeah, go, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, well, never exactly different. what I was thinking. Yeah. It's such a surreal experience. You know, you're used to having your, you know, your, your guardian um, next to you the whole time, holding your hand through it. And all of a sudden, you're, you're the only one on the road. <laughs> um, and so the same thing for the classroom, like just you're in charge of this class now. They're looking up to you. Whether they respect you is another question, but they're, you know, you're, you're the authority figure there. And I think the first time you're going to have disruptions and, and classroom issues, which you will have, um, you know, I think the first thing you think about is going on the attack, you know, why is this kid doing this? You know, I have to follow through my consequences and all that. What I've sort of realized, and I still do that, uh, but I think there are things that go, are going on in students' lives which don't excuse these behaviors, but they explain them. 
And the fact that they're actually sitting in your classroom there is actually a feat in and of itself sometimes. And, you know, whether it's, like I mentioned, these broken families or maybe they didn't even get to have breakfast that day or, or there's a lot of friendship issues going on, I think it's really important to be mindful of these. And, and I've definitely taken that on board now um, as I've um, embarked on my teaching journey. Because that could be quite a weight, right? Mm, mm. How do you balance that? And that's what I wrestled with when I first went into teaching. Was that, you know, well, backtrack a bit. I remember the first, the first reading I did in university for teaching was that it outlined all the roles of what a teacher is. A carer, uh, you know, a, a lunch provider, you know, a mother, a father, a parental figure. Is that all? Um, well, a million other things. Um, you know, a, a nurse, all that. Um, and then when I went into the first the first classroom I went into, I realized for the Perhaps for, for this class, the best thing isn't their academic achievement. It is something much deeper than that. And so I started becoming paralyzed in do I, how do I teach both the academics, the math, mathematics, and also see their well being at the same time? Like, what do you focus on first? Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How do you, you've gone through five years. Mm. What's that been like? Look, and I think you just don't get it right all the time. Like you, you want to do all the right things. And the reality is that you can't do all of that. Um, there will be things that you miss or things that you get wrong. And I think the only sort of thing that keeps you moving forward is, okay, you know, I've taken this on board. What, what can I change up? What can I improve upon? And so it's a constant learning experience, I think. In terms of, yeah, what what do you focus on first? I mean, I think Eddie Wu's phrased it in, in, in other contexts, but he's said kind of like, which wing of the airplane would you rather keep? Like, as in, you know, the, these things are both so important. You know, teaching academics, we, we're trying to bring up outcomes. That's, you know, one of our primary roles. But then at the same time, you can't do that without connecting to your kids um, at this level. And so for me, I, you know, something simple as every time I go into the classroom, I try and have just like one conversation with a student that's something outside of mathematics, you know, what's going on in your life or, you know, what did you get up to on the weekend? Just like, I think it can be something simple like that, but it can, it can actually go a long way in terms of connecting with your students and yeah, relating to them. I'm Sam, and this is Conversations with Earl Grey, a podcast about ordinary people living extraordinary, beautiful lives. We'll be back shortly. In a couple of years back, I did a little stint as a rugby sevens coach for a school sport. And... I don't know if you can tell by my um, physique, but I am not a rugby player. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's a lie, listeners. I'm looking over there and this man is filled with pumping himself with steroids. uh, It's it's the COVID (laughs) weight, I think. You can't even see his neck. No, I'm kidding. He's a scrawny little Asian kid. (laughs) 
And so, you know, they threw me into this deep end of, you know, now, now you're taking rugby sevens. I'm like, okay, I didn't even know there were different types of rugby at this point. And as you imagine, the type of students doing these kind of sports, uh, they're, they're, that's probably one of their, um, you know, primary passions. It's, it's not necessarily being in the classroom with a textbook. And so the students that I would normally find being disruptive in the classroom, I now found um, in uh, this different context. And it was actually, it still strikes me to this day, just seeing them in this different context, how much they can excel and how different they are because you've placed them somewhere else. And I think that was something that really helps me connect with these students back in the classroom was that you could use that almost that, you know, I saw how well you played on the field the other day, you know, you did really well against them. And then them seeing you in their context as well, meeting you, meeting them there, it's something that you have now a connection um, that you can use to, you know, I think benefit both parties there. Is, it, is, that, is that a matter of seeing your students as more than the dimension of math students and letting them see that you're more than dimension of math teacher? And that's, I guess that's so applicable to normal human life, isn't it? Sometimes we can only see, sorry, sometimes we only experience a person because of that one context. And we really think we know them. But in actual fact, we've never seen them in any other context. And we are surprised or angered or jealous or enraged that they're a different person or confused. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think confusion is definitely one of the first emotions I had because, you know, on one hand, you have these students that can't sit still in a classroom, can't do a piece of work and... um, out on the field, they're just like this amazing individual that excels and, and, and um, you know, gathers their teammates together. And, and I think that, that really helped me shift my perspective uh, on, on my students and it helped remind myself that um, these people, they all have something that they're interested in and maybe it's not mathematics, um, but there is something out there and that they can excel in these places, yeah. I just want to explore a different aspect. Um, sometimes when, we, when we're teachers, how we deal with our own failure leads to how we deal, how we walk other people through theirs. Um, if we are ashamed of our failures, often the case when our students fail, we expect them to be ashamed or we, we discipline them in a way that makes them feel shamed. Is that, is that your experience? That's really funny you say that actually, because I'm almost sort of the opposite. I don't know if that's, if that's the right way of thinking about it because I know that in my life, when I make mistakes, I'm very much, I want to sweep it under the carpet. I want, I want to forget that it ever happens. Um, but for example, I know that when, you know, I think trial exams is a very topical one because we've just had trial exams. And I know that when my kids have their trial exams and they get a result that they're not happy about, they're disappointed in, that's their first reaction too. 
um, to, you know, forget that it ever happened, move on from that. Um, but I'm almost sort of in the opposite. I, I want to help them. I want to put it in the spotlight and I want to say, look, this is an exam that is quite important. But the reality is that you know, this is the best time to do something about it. It's, it's a time that I can help you work through this. Don't be ashamed about this. This is something that we can work on. It's an opportunity. Um, so it's interesting that I can't necessarily always put that in my own life, but uh, I can help sort of change that fathers. I don't know if that makes sense. Is that something? Yeah, it does. It mm. does. It does. You're making them to be a better you. <laughs> I can't fix myself, but hopefully I can fix them. So. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of a quote by Clive Parker Palmer. Oh, sorry. Cancel the Clive by Parker Palmer. Have you read The Courage to Teach? By no, Clive, I haven't. By Parker it, Palmer? Do you recommend it? That... I do. I okay. do. I recommend any teacher and anyone who wants to teach to, um, to read this book. Good teaching cannot be reduced to technique. Good teaching comes from the identity and integrity of the teacher. And he explores that, that whole kind of know thyself. A good teacher knows who they are and are true to knowing who they are and knows their flaws and their successes. And so by knowing who they are, they begin to know who their students are. And then from that, it's the authenticity of the self that comes out in teaching. Um, it's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah, that's really it's a heavy, every heavy, time I heavy read this, <laughs> It is. Every time yeah. I read this, I'm like, I should go back into teaching. Mm, mm. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, probably not. <laughs> Parker Palmer says that it's about identity and integrity. Mm. Who is Kimmers? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Is <laughs> it's a deep dive therapy on. session. Yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel? Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, because every I I wonder whether every day you go into that classroom, you are revealing yourself. You're giving yourself over. Yeah, that's a, to a group of people. I mean, I think a hundred percent in some ways you are, and I've always been. The advice that I've, I've always been given is that be yourself in the classroom because kids will able to tell if that's not you. And, and I've always kind of questioned that. I've always been like, how can a student know if I'm putting on a facade or, you know, is, is this the teacher Kim is or is this the, you know, the real Kim is? And I think in some sense, like every teacher has a facade because especially, you know, when you have to um, have discipline in the classroom, like, I don't know if that's really who I am. I think that's sort of, my job, I think it's to keep order in the classroom and to keep everyone safe and, and learning. Like th there is some sort of um, persona that you build up in order to like apply that. Um, but in some sense as well, I sort of understand that advice because I think it's very difficult to be someone you're not in the classroom. Like I try and imagine in a classroom if I, you know, every now and then I, if, you know, if I didn't make a joke or if I don't, you know, <laughs> dance it with my students. So I think it's just very difficult to, um, do, and maybe some people do it, but you know, for personally for me, it's something that I, I have to sh express my personality in some way, um, in the classroom, and maybe in some sense I do get to know myself better as well through these sort of natural interactions rather than making it artificial or, you know, changing my my um, persona. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. 
I noticed you you did a roundabout to that question because you never really answered it. <laughs> I'm a politician, as <laughs> you've caught me. <laughs> who is who am I? Who am I? I mean, I don't even know where you begin to answer that, to be honest. But I think, <laughs> I think, if the first thing that comes to my mind is that I'm someone who wants to be around people. I want to. In the same way that like so many people have cared for me um, and that sort of love that I've received, I guess there is some sort of, I don't know if it's a responsibility or there's some drive for me to um, share that with other people. And I think receiving that is great. But I think when, when you give that as well and when, when people appreciate that and when people recognize that, there there is some... I don't know how to describe that feeling, but it's, um, yeah, like being able to be valuable to someone's life is, it's, it's really special. I think. Yeah. I don't know if that's a roundabout as well. No, no, that, yeah. Um, yeah. cause I know, no, you're, you have a deep faith. Hmm. Um, does your faith interact with your identity and your, and your teaching? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It will. It has it has some sort of weight in your life, and I think it's always hard to know what it is or know what the right thing to do is. Because I think for a long time, like it's it's always been a wrestle about how your faith works with where you are. I think it's always been like this sort of distinct thing that you know you go to a church on Sunday, you go to this youth group, or it's like this bucket in your life, and then. Then you have your, you know, school bucket or uni bucket or work bucket. Like they're they're like separate things almost. And for the longest time, and even now potentially, sometimes there's no, no sort of you don't feel like there's a crossover. You don't feel like you're doing enough. I don't know. Um, especially when you're wrestling with your faith and, and what that means. And I think that's particularly challenging for me. You know, when 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 you start work, that there's a whole other world that you can sort of dive yourself into, and then you can forget about. That, that other bucket of your life. Um, but I think the biggest way that's impacted me is definitely what I was talking about in that a big part of my identity is just caring for people. And I think that that really comes from the fact that, you know, in these contexts, that in, you know, in, in a church context, that there are so many people that look out for you, that so many people that care for you in different ways, um, whether it's just, you know, keeping in touch with you or asking how you're going, um, having one-to-ones, being a part of a, you know, community group. I think that sort of, these sort of things that you receive, that there's something that you want to give back as well, um, regardless if it's in a faith context or not, yeah. Because I can imagine that it's, it's, I think it's a, to want to care for another person is a very human thing and it's a very good thing. But on the other hand, it can be become a very twisted thing as well that it, it becomes a, nearly a, a, a messiah complex, right? Right, that, right. That I am the one who I am the only one 
mm. who can provide this care. Mm. And, or it becomes a very insecure thing that people need my mm. care. Yeah. Have you balanced that? Have you, have you experienced that tension as you've taught? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember the first time I sort of felt like that and it's such a, you experienced it in such simple ways. Like an example was, um, I remember, you know, a student I had, um, and to be fair, I only just started that year. Um, but <laughs> it's going to sound really silly, but they were going to another teacher for help. Um, and in my mind, I was like, how dare you? <laughs> I'm your teacher, you know, um, you're going to come to me for help. Um, and it's so silly in, in that moment because in, in hindsight, and I reflect on that. I think over time I've learned that, no, I completely agree with you. There is this sort of hero complex almost that, you know, you're the only one that can help people in this position, whether it's related to maths or related to whatever is going on in their life. Um, and I've sort of learned over time that I can sort of distance myself from that in the same way that I, I don't necessarily take things personally anymore in the classroom. When a student acts up, um, it's very easy in your first couple of years that you think, you know, what have I done wrong or what, what can I do better? Um, but I think it's about recognizing now, what's best for this student? Maybe it's the best thing isn't that is that I don't help them. Maybe that they need someone else or someone who can connect with them better. And there's just always going to be situations like that. And so I think it's something that it is something that is a constant struggle that you sort of keep learning about. But personally, I, I've learned to sort of, I don't know, distance myself is the right way, but yeah, kind of um, not necessarily think that I'm the one that can help people. There's, yeah, there's, it's humbling actually to recognize that Sometimes you just can't help someone. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not in your, in your own individual control. Yeah. And what do you do as a, as a person of faith? I mean, that's, I think that's a part of it, actually, is that you recognize that humans don't have all the answers. You know, you have, you make plans and, and plans just fall through all the time. You feel like you're in control, um, but then you go through these different situations where very clearly you are not in control of what's going on. You can plan out everything to the T, um, but things just might not work out the way that you want them to. And I, and I remember reading a passage that talks about how, I think it's in Proverbs, that you know, humans sort of plan their course they 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 map out where they want to go but the lord establishes their steps and so when i read that i was just thinking how, how does that even work like you know i'm planning everything out for myself um but ultimately i think yeah things just aren't always in your control you can't always do everything to how you want them to i don't know yeah i'm gonna end with thinking about um I don't know about you, but, but I always, I, I always think about my, um, my year six class who, um, you still get PTSD from that. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Uh, probably not. No, <laughs> no, no, I've worked through that with a counselor, um, <laughs> but I always think about my year six class hmm. because, and I always count the years, right? They're, um, they're in their second year uni now. What? Um, yeah, no way. Yeah. That is yeah, yeah, yeah. How They crazy are in their second that? year uni now. That's, I wonder and, if they still um, think about you. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Um, and I think about them because I don't know where they've gone. You know, I've left them and and I've kind of said, this is, <laughs> I've done my best. You're going into high school now. Um, the path is yours to take. I've, I think I tried to be and teach that life sometimes isn't fair and that a lot of them got into trouble a lot. I remember one of my, the deepest moments that I've had was, you know, I had this every, I think Friday morning we went to, um, everyone split off into math groups, right? And I got the worst math group. Sorry, the the, the, L- the a group, oh, the the group that needed most improvement. Um, that has the opportunity <laughs> you know that, for most improvement. opportunity for growth. Yeah, much opportunity for that's growth. What you know? we're it's about. like it's like real estate. You so, know, this it's a it's a it's a developer's dream. Um, I got that class, and it was yeah. just filled with kids who. It was a maths one, right? Me teaching maths. It's always maths. Um, it's like. And, you know, they were going, how do you add fractions? And I stood up there and going, uh, um, do you add the top and then you add the bottom? Or do you do the Just get your calculator out. And then I was like, hold on a second. I get my phone out and I go, what do I do with this? Um, oh, Siri, uh, that's the classic one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. Um, and then one of the kids said to me, Mr. Wan, why do I always get into trouble? And I said, I won't use their name, but I said, mate, when we do things, other things happen. When you do something, something else reacts. That's always the case. That's the basic formula of the universe. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen, but you can see how sometimes when you say bad words or you tease people or you throw chairs at people, you can begin to understand why, because a teacher wants a safe classroom, they might get you into trouble. They're not, I don't get you into trouble because I hate you. No teachers want to do that. Well, I hope not. But you've got to realize that as you grow older, you've, you have responsibility of your life and you're going to have more responsibility of your life. And I hope that one day you do the right thing. That was the most profound moment, right? That was that was the moment for me where I thought I had a conversation with the worst of the, not the worst of the. Oh, there we go. I'm painting them again <laughs> with the with the people who can have the greatest potential to change, to move forward. And I don't know if any other teachers said that to them. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know. I don't know whether that just completely went over their heads or went through one year to the other, but I do think one day that they might pause and go, hey, I'm not going to do this because someone told me that I, I have responsibility, um, that my life is not as uncontrolled as I thought it was. But <laughs> it's a roundabout way of, of coming back to you because I often think about this class um, you know, I don't know if you're a Hamilton fan, but, you know, 
Um, there's a line in the musical that says, Legacy, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in gardens that you never get to see. In, you know, 50 years' time when you retire, what do you hope that your students may be? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's another heavy question. Eh? <laughs> I mean, just to touch on a few things, like, I think it's pretty profound what you're saying. Like, really, you don't have to be the best teacher for every student you teach. And the reality is you won't. But if you can change one person's life in the way that you've described, I think that's like, yeah, they're going to be holding on to that um, long, long after you've taught them. And I think that's something that is, again, you can't describe that sort of thing. And, and like you said, you won't know that feeling. <laughs> you won't know that it has, but, and it has, and that, that, that's, I think that's important. What do I, where do I hope they'll be? I mean, you know, we, we, we're put in these classrooms and for the most part, we're, we're teaching our subjects and that's what we spend the majority of our time doing, but it's, it's probably not the most important thing that they're going to learn, that they're going to take away being a good mathematician or, or liking mathematics. Like I hope, I hope there'll be some change in perspective, at least that when I show them these things, that they may think, they may have a second thinking that realize that mathematics wasn't always what they expected it or what they thought it would be. But more so than that, I think, kind of what you were saying, I hope that when they leave school and long after uh, I've been a part of their lives, that they'll see the um, way in which I've interacted with them and just about being a good person, being able to show that to other people as well. Um, and for me, it's always hard because I mean, a student once asked me that, no, it seems like it'd be sad to be a teacher because, you know, you get in, you get to know these nice group of kids and you know, who knows how long you taught them for. You might've taught them their whole high school career. Um, then they, then they leave and they see you later, they get to, they do their own thing and you almost never see them again. Um, and there, there is definitely that moment of, of saying goodbye. That is quite hard. Um, but you know, as Dr. Seuss said, I think it's, uh, don't cry because it's over, but smile because it happened. And so I definitely try and adopt that mentality. And um, I don't know if my students think about me um, when, when they've graduated. I, I certainly do think about them every now and then. Um, but I hope yeah, that that message sticks with them, just caring for others and yeah, being a good person. <laughs> Last question. Mm. 50 years time, how would you like to be remembered? Jeez. <laughs> as Mr. Mr. Kimmers. Mr. Kimmers, yeah. I think when I think about the teachers I've had, I've been pretty lucky to have a lot of good teachers in my life. And I don't know if they know this, but I, I think of them as... I mean, how do I think of the name? every teacher that I've interacted with has had some sort of influence in the direction that I've gone whether positive or negative 
Um, and so I hope that the interactions I have with my students, that they'll, they'll sort of think back on that. And I hope that those interactions have, have pointed them in a, in a positive direction in their life. It's been something that's fruitful for them, um, something that benefits them. Hopefully that's how I'll be remembered <laughs> for the most part. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kimmers, on this um, afternoon straight out of school. Um, it's been a wonderful conversation with you. And um, not, not saying that I had bad math teachers. <laughs> I wish I, I had you as my math teacher um, to tell me what the importance of prime numbers were. <laughs> And um, the importance of differentiation. Differentiation as a math game that people used to play that has now implications in life. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for your time and um, uh, loved it. It's been a blast, Mr. Wan. Thanks for having me as well. <laughs> well, that's another week and another episode of Conversations with Earl Grey. Thank you so much for my guest, Kimmers, and also to my executive producer, Brendan Zhu. And I know lockdown has been hard, and that includes me, so it's been tricky trying to get these episodes out uh, once a week. But I really hope you've enjoyed and learnt and just seen the world through someone else's eyes. We'll be back next week with another conversation and another cup of tea. Have a good week. And I'll see you soon.